Views and opinions expressed on this program are those solely of its speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WMUA, its management board, or the board of trustees of the University of Massachusetts. This is Unbeaten. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you listening. Live from Amherst, Massachusetts, in the basement of the Murray D. Lincoln Campus Center, broadcasting on WMUA 91.1 FM and online streaming. Today is Thursday, April 12th. We have a great topic today, so let's get things started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Unbeaten, another Thursday morning. Nice weather is on the way, I know that. Tomorrow is supposed to be in the 60s, and Saturday, I think, roughly the 70s. So, we are finally starting to get into that spring, uh, true spring weather, getting even closer to summer weather. You heard right, Uh, it is April 12th, that means today is my birthday, Uh, Really completely irrelevant to the show, so I'll just throw it out there and leave it at that. Um, For our soccer fans out there, we've talked a little bit of soccer on this show, really not a whole lot, but what I will say is this. um, This programming is presented by listeners like you and Supercut Soccer Fest. Supercut Soccer Fest is a six-versus-six soccer tournament located on the campus of the University of Massachusetts, held on April, actually, the day I was born. Soon, this one-day tournament welcomes all abilities, so pit your team against other regional challengers in the Top Gun bracket if you're feeling competitive, or just looking for a a day of fun, some uh, relaxed soccer. That's right, try our just-for-fun bracket, men's, women's, and co-ed divisions are available so there's really no reason uh, that you can't get out there and play soccer registration deadline is april 18th that is six days away you have less than a week to register for more information visit supercutssoccerfest.org soccerfest.org so uh please go and check that out uh some of uh i think it's that is run somewhat through Eisenberg. It's a project I think they're doing. Uh, so, soccerfest.org for the third time. And let's get into the show. Some, uh, I guess, important topics uh, over the last week. Specifically, I want to focus on the uh, Conor McGregor incident. Uh, throwing the, I think it was like a, a, a dolly or like a chair through a, a bus window. A bus that was carrying other UFC fighters. Apparently, having he has some beef with uh, the other uh, UFC fighters, so or one in particular, and felt the need that he had to take action. Um, caused an act of violence. I think he was charged with assault in some manner, and he was he turned himself in. Uh, he was arrested. He was in custody. Uh, he was arraigned, I believe. He is set to be back in court, back here in the in the states, at some time later this summer. Those are sort of the logistics of it. Uh, my opinion, I know Dana White 
uh, well, first of all, before before I get into my opinion, we'll sort of uh, keep covering all the facts about you know sort of this incident. Dana White uh, went on. It might have been, I, th- I believe it was ESPN, one of the ESPN channels, um, and they interviewed him essentially just to just to hear what he said. Obviously, you know Dana White, the president of the UFC, uh, that this was because people were speculating that it might have been a stunt because you know UFC and boxing and fighting sports alike, it's all about promotion. It's all about uh, building up hype for the fights and creating creating all this drama, whether it's fake or real. Sometimes it's hard to differentiate. Uh, but Dana White went on television to clearly state that this was the farthest thing from like an act, essentially. That this was not this was not premeditated, at least on behalf of the UFC. Maybe McGregor. He's saying McGregor essentially acted alone. Uh, Dana White wanted nothing to do with his his actions. He condemned Conor McGregor's actions and essentially said that you know he hopes he can he can get help or. But you know, Dana White has he he Dana White brought up a good point saying that you know he attacked my guys. I mean Conor's one of my guys, but so are you know the guys he attacked that were on the bus. Those were UFC guys. So any he said any attack roughly uh, sort of paraphrasing here roughly that you know any attack on any one of my guys whether it be you know from it doesn't matter who who's the attacker it's still an attack against the UFC and so he made it clear that you know McGregor should be punished and you know there were some speculations uh, through different you know, media, whether that be, you know, in the print or, you know, on, on television, anything from like a local sports news, basically anyone, anyone that could have an opinion on this, um, you know, they were speculating that, well, could this be the end of McGregor's career? Could this, you know, did he finally, was this, was this, was this going too far, essentially? Did he, did he break some rules? Is this a boundary he shouldn't have crossed? And I think it's fun to speculate, like, you know, like with anything. And so everyone's saying, well, he, he very well could be done. This was, this was not okay. And I think that that's an overreaction. I don't think that, you know, Conor McGregor's career is over by any means. He's still in incredibly uh, top-notch physical shape. Uh, he can still, he, he's proven he can still fight. Um, just, you know, I mean, watching the workout videos and just looking at his past, you know, five fights or so, you can tell that he's not, he's not on any, like, necessarily any, any sort of downward slope by any means. So, physically wise, he's still in very good shape and competition wise, he's, he has not declined in performance. So, to say that his career's over from one little slip up whether that slip up be maybe more serious than we think because you know he still he still hasn't been uh he still hasn't been tried in court he still has his court date so you know there's two separate two separate things to look here is first of all will he two 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 things to look at in terms of punishment wise could he suffer 
criminal punishment, which would be pretty serious, or could he suffer from advertisement and or UFC punishments? Because the UFC could punish him by saying, listen, we don't want you fighting in the UFC anymore, sort of like they did with John Jones after he tested positive uh, for performance-enhancing drugs and drugs in general too much. Um, or it could be one of those things where his um, the people who endorse him, and I'm not even sure exactly you know, what brands endorse him or how many endorsements he has, because I know that Floyd Mayweather has, I believe it's he doesn't have any endorsements, so it's possible for some fighters to have no endorsements, but what I'm saying is if he does have uh, like a boxing company, like say Reebok sponsor him, which I should really know this, but I don't off the top of my head. Um, and they pull him from. I, I believe I believe Reebok does sponsor Conor McGregor. I believe they have a whole line of his his stuff. And if they chose to drop him, um, or basically just stop using him as the face of their you know, uh, MMA uh, products then it, it could very well be over for him because he could be at the point where maybe he's not making enough revenue for for him to be for it to be worth it for him to be fighting so he could potentially see other consequences that aren't necessarily criminal while at the same time a, a criminal you know punishment or a criminal charge would also be very serious and it's important to remember that you know he's He's from Ireland, so he's he's probably going back to Ireland if he's not already there, which he most likely is, uh, to spend you know this this sort of difficult or troubling time, I guess you could say, for him uh, in his in his home his home country. But uh, regardless, he committed a crime here uh, on United States soil, so he's going to have to be back. Uh, essentially in court in, in the summer. I think it might have been like a maybe a July court date. Um, but that, that pretty much sums up everything I have to say about Conor McGregor. Uh, no, I don't think his career is over quite yet. And it would be too hard to speculate whether he'll suffer any uh, criminal penalties because that's just the justice system. And, you know, we know nothing about that trial. So anything... anything that I could predict there would just be, you know, speculation, speculative type stuff. Um, so moving on to the next topic, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Red Sox. I try not to make this show too much, uh, too heavily uh, Boston sports based, just because I know a lot of the other shows here on the radio station, um, which most of the sports uh, shows are at like the 11 o'clock slot. I think sports lines maybe in the afternoon, which is sort of the uh, the longer, the longer time slot, sort of like the the main show, um, but I don't want to get you know too caught up in Boston sports. But um, after you know touching upon Connor Connor McGregor for you know whatever those ten minutes, I think we can talk a little bit about the Red Sox, especially since uh, you know the it's opening day was what roughly like ten days ago, so the season's still pretty uh, pretty fresh, pretty new. Um, the Red Sox are red hot. Uh, only lost one game. They lost the first game. 
opening day. And since then, they have not lost. And so, um, this series against the Yankees, the Yankees are in town. Uh, the past, they've been in town the past couple of days. Um, so they're here, here playing at Fenway Park. And it's important to note that Giancarlo Stanton has gotten off to a very slow start. He has had two games in which he got no hits. One game he went 0 for 5, one game he went 0 for 7. And in both of those games, he had at least five strikeouts. And I believe that had not been done since 1920, which is incredible to think that something like that hasn't happened in pretty much almost 100 years. So I believe it might have been, it might have been, I don't know who the last player uh, that, that that would have happened to, but uh, the, the, the important thing is that Giancarlo Stanton has gotten off to a slow start because, and you know, he's a high profile player, so obviously people are going to be watching him under the microscope in such a big market like New York City, especially with all the hype surround, uh, that surrounded them this offseason. Everybody knew they were going in with one of the best middle lineups, one of the best uh, middle lineups in the MLB, um, with, with Judge right next to him in the lineup. And then you have Gary Sanchez as well. So, you know, the hype probably didn't help that people are not satisfied with his performance. But uh, the Yankees, on paper, looked to be the stronger, the more stronger team than the Red Sox. And now here we are in, you know, like 12 or so game, 10 or 12 games in. And the Red Sox look way stronger than the Yankees. And it's not even that our bats, I mean, our bats are more powerful at the moment, but it's not even like it's the power bats making the difference, if that makes sense. It's not the middle of the lineup guys that are necessarily making the difference because J.D. Martinez, you could argue, isn't, you know, isn't even living up to his expectations. And granted, it's still so early, but I think the you know it, the difference maker is is in all the little details. You know, it's it comes a little bit from the pitching. It comes a little bit from the starting pitching, and a little which is very strong for the Red Sox. And it comes a little bit from the bullpen, uh, and it comes a little bit from you know just the the regular base hits that the that the uh, the other guys in the lineup do that aren't necessarily the power hitters. Um, so yeah. And I think that's contributing to the fact that the Red Sox are the better overall team. And certainly it doesn't help that the Yankees' power bats are not performing, which could be a telltale sign that their entire team's success is either based off of uh, is, is, is based off of essentially their, their power bats, their middle of the lineup. Basically, the way it's going so far this season is it looks like you know, Stanton and Judge's performance, their performance as, uh, you know, the team, as they go, the team goes, essentially. So, if they continue to, or specifically Stanton continues to not perform well, then 
I think the Yankees will continue to not perform well because I don't think they have all the small difference makers like the Red Sox do, where the Red Sox have a bunch of different, you know, uh, reasons for the team's success and a bunch of, you know, little things that contribute to the team doing well. So, you know, that's about that's about all I have to say about the Red Sox. That's sort of my my quick spiel. Um, but don't go anywhere. We're going to be back after this short break to cover some UMass athletics. We'll cover some UMass uh, sports headlines. And, uh, yeah, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to WMUA 91.1 FM. This is WMUA Sports. UMass Men and Women Basketball on WMUA is supported by listeners like you and by Collective Copies, a worker-owned print shop with a mission. Printing, publishing, and promotion, 11 worker owners who share over 150 years of experience in the print industry are there to help you at every step. Collective Copies in Amherst and Florence and online 24-7 at collectivecopies.com. Welcome back to the show, second half of the program. Uh, I think we'll just talk about some UMass athletics as we always do. We always reserve uh, half the show for some uh, UMass sports talk. And uh, the first thing, which is sort of an interesting little thing that just sort of crossed my mind the other day, is, is so I assumed that all the UMass athletes lived in Southwest and which which makes sense because you know the athletic complexes are all on the you know southern <laughs> side of campus uh, which is actually just just for a fun fact real quick um, most of the athletic fields and uh, arenas and complexes are actually located in Hadley as the town line, crosses over when you get to Commonwealth Ave. So after Commonwealth Ave, uh, like anything, if you're if you're standing at the center of campus facing north, anything to the left of Commonwealth Ave would be considered Hadley for the most part. Um, that, but that's generally how the town line goes. Uh, not really relevant, but just so you know. Um, and so I Getting back on topic here, I just assumed that all the athletes lived in Southwest, uh, but I live in Orchard Hill, which means that I pretty often go to Worcester Dining Hall, which is located on the northeast side of campus, not even anywhere close to like any athletic complexes. I mean, the closest athletic thing in, on the northeast side of campus is the Topman, the Topman Gym which has a very small uh, gym with, uh, like, I think they have some power, uh, uh, strength equipment and, and machines and maybe a few treadmills and whatnot. And they do have a pool there, so that's a main thing. And 
Um, but at was when I was at Worcester the other day, or this I guess this past year, I've noticed that the hockey team and some of the basketball players are always at Worcester Dining Hall, which at first I was like, okay, well maybe they have some strength training uh, at Totman, and then they come right over to Worcester after for you know a quick bite to eat, but. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case as they're, you know, it, it took me all year to realize this, but they're always there, especially the hockey team, always, always at Worcester, um, which makes me think that the, the hockey team, or at least some of the hockey team lives on the Northeastern, uh, side of campus. Now, whether that be the North apartments or maybe even the Sil uh, the Sylvan buildings there, the three Sylvan buildings, which kind of makes sense because, you know, um, you I think you can have like eight people in a suite because Sylvan's all suite living, so you can have at least eight people there. So maybe you know it's sort of like a team aspect where you got eight eight of eight of the guys living together, um, and you know they all just kind of share like one or two common rooms. So I mean that would make sense. And then there's also the possibility that maybe they have a house. Uh, uh, like they have a house somewhere off campus or close to campus that's uh, on closer to the northeast side. So if you if you do know, um, because I'm not even sure, just you know, I'm just just curious. But you can always uh, like tweet at the show. Um, that's and that goes for anything. If you have any you know questions, comments, concerns, critiques, commentary, uh, our Twitter handle is at unbeaten u-n-b-e-a-t-o-n show unbeaten show uh so just tweet anything at us um but yeah getting back on topic here and then some of the basketball players i've been told actually live in the north apartments because if they're a scholarship player i believe they don't have to pay for residential housing i believe like uh they don't have to pay that uh you know that part of the tuition or it's not really tuition because it's room and board so yeah they don't have to pay room and board and because the north apartments are so nice they would just choose to live there so i guess not all the athletes live in southwest the more you know i've sort of pieced that together uh over the past couple of days but getting into uh <laughs> Some more headline-driven uh, stories or topics. Uh, we'll just start going through them. The first would be that Wit, the um, women's track and field runner, she was tabbed A10 Women's Track Performer of the Week. So pretty much A10 Player of the Week. Um, the sophomore won... Two events at the Minute Women Invitational last Saturday. Um, also, Garcia from the softball team was named Atlantic 10 Player of the Week. Uh, the junior earned the award after batting 750 with four RBIs uh, in the sweep of St. Joseph's. I was at the first game in the St. Joseph's series. Uh, it was a doubleheader, at least on one of the days it was a doubleheader. It was very cold out. 
Um, you'd think it would be sort of a pitcher's battle uh, on that day, but interestingly enough, there were a lot of hits from uh, both sides of uh, the diamond. Um, a lot of hit by a lot of hit by pitches. Uh, a lot of a lot of girls were hit, um, and it was it was so cold out that it must have been brutal. Again, I mean, softball pitchers, you know, don't get enough credit, but they throw those they throw those balls pretty hard too. So, I mean, I'm sure getting hit with one of those doesn't feel too great, especially when it's like uh, 30 degrees out with the wind chill. So, uh, I'm sure that's that stung a lot. I think we saw maybe like four hit by pitches, and then. Um, I think one one girl on the UMass team got hit at least twice in the game, so not too fun. Um, sort of moving on, women's swimming and diving team uh, announces team awards. The Minute Women will hand out their 2017-18 team awards at their banquet, and they already named their captains for uh, next season. So that's very special stuff. And then moving over to the men's side of the pool, uh, men's swimming and diving announces their team awards, and they handed theirs out honoring um, specifically Owen Wright and Chris Giacomo, Giacomo with MVP awards. So uh, those two uh, student-athletes were uh, recognized for their excellence. Baseball is prepared for the Bean Pot consolation game and a nine-game homestand. Um, so obviously they will not be winning the Bean Pot this year, as they are already eliminated. They're in the consolation game. Uh, UMass will visit Boston College Tuesday afternoon ahead of its home tilts with UMass Lowell and Rhode Island. So I'm guessing that BC will uh, they will be playing in the Bean Pot, Bean Pot Constellation game, and UMass Lowell and Rhode Island will probably be part of that nine-game homestand. So they will be coming uh, to Amherst uh, for that nine-game stretch. Hockey officially unveils uh, a new weight room facility. It actually looks very cool, um, but... You know, it's 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 opening, and it looks like uh, Coach Greg Carvel uh, pretty much just describes the the impact that you know the, what the new training facility uh, will have on the team, and it looks like it's in the Mullins practice arena from a picture I'm looking at here. So if you know the Mullins Center, the big uh, well, obviously you know what the Mullins Center is if you're probably listening to this. The, the practice rink across the street from it, that is apparently where this new gym is. All the equipment uh, looks pretty state-of-the-art, and they got uh, some nice logos painted on the uh, facility. So, hockey program, definitely definitely uh, on the rise. It's a 3,500-square-foot uh, s- facility that opened in October 2017, but um, it won't be completely finished until February 2018, which is already passed. So I don't know if this story is maybe slightly old, but um, yeah, UMass Hockey, I know we've, we've talked enough about them 
in the past and you know they're sort of on the rise and we've seen uh we announced i think last show that that kale mccarr would be returning and because of that most likely all the other player all the other young players will be returning like mario ferraro and um oliver chow some of the some of those those key players john letter just to name a few um and they, they honestly the, there wasn't a lot of I think Jake McLaughlin or uh, Jake Jake Horton, I know, uh, was one of the only seniors. I think there was maybe one more, but um, yeah, they're not they're not losing a lot of guys to graduation at all. Um, it's primarily a, a very young core, and you know, as we know, it sounds like most of them will be sticking around. Uh, especially with this, this is the success they had last season, and from from what I understand, they all enjoy playing under Carvel, which he will now. I think he just completed his second full season, I believe. So he'll be in his third, going into his third season next year. Uh, we have about like 20, 20 more seconds before uh, we wrap up. I just want to acknowledge the the Broncos junior hockey team. Obviously, a terrible tragedy that happened. Uh, this past week, uh, terrible news. You never want to hear that. So just wanted to sort of pay our respects here on this show to them. And, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to their families. So thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, another great episode. We'll see you back here next Thursday at 11 p.m.